Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. In each episode, Warren Berry, CEO and founder of Instinctive Solutions, talks to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. We'll discover what makes each guest a bit of an odd duck and how they continue to better the pond around us. The migration starts right now with our host, Warren Berry. Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Better the Pond podcast, the Flying V edition, where we talk to incredible people who are creating ripples and impact on the pond. My name is Warren Berry, and I'm your host and the founder of Instinctive Solutions, where we believe that everyone is an odd duck, but that's what makes them awesome. Today, my guest is Mehmet Echeglien of Line Zero. I met Mehmet at a Tech Canada Emerging Leader session where I was speaking, and I knew that there was really something special about him. Born in Iskarinin, Turkey, moved to Brooklyn, New York at the age of seven with no English, totally a new culture, and a world of unknowns, Mehmet found a way. His family moved to Canada, and that's where he resides now. He leads by example, is always the first to be kind, and left me with the line, you only lose when you give up. Mehmet gets to better the pond every day by leaving people better than he found them. Thank you, Mehmet. All right. Mehmet Akchalinyan. How's that? Good. It's good? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to this. Um, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to be a guest on the Better the Pond podcast. It is great to have you. Great to be here. So we met uh, at uh, Tech Canada for an emerging leaders group. Uh, that was a the inaugural flight for that uh, for that group, and uh, I had met you there. And through that process, um, you had uh, you had won. You had won like the pride, the grand prize to be a guest on the podcast. And I'm really uh, number one. I'm really interested about you. I'm really interested about your company. And I'm really interested about what you have to say today. So uh, I think this is going to be a great podcast for everyone to listen to. Look forward to it. Yeah. So uh, so are we going to go with, uh, well, first of all, let's go back to this. So um, your your name, because that's, I mean, it's a selling feature. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so give me, first of all, you got to give me the little bit of the, you know, give my myself and my guests a little bit of the background on just your name itself. Sure thing. So I'm. I was born in Turkey, so I'm I'm Turkish, uh, and my name is Mehmet Akchalian. Uh, but I, first of all, I always tell my clients when I first meet them, like just call me Mem for short. So most of them will do that. Uh, most of my friends will call me that as well. Um, but the software that I sell is is called Workplace by Meta. So we're a reseller. I work for a company called Line Zero, we, reseller and implementation partner, and the way that I uh, I position this is there's a feature in Workplace, which I think is actually a really cool feature. LinkedIn has it now too, but Workplace is, first of all, what what is Workplace? So Workplace is well, a we'll, tool we'll, that- we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay, go ahead. But we'll, you know, we'll get to that. I just want to go back on the whole name bit, right? So you know, so you go into the feature that's, set, that's sitting in Workplace and then we'll get into what your company does. Yeah, so the feature basically announces your name right so you can record yourself saying it or you could type it in a way where an automated voice can can say your name but exactly how it's pronounced 
So I always show that feature to, to prospects. Like, you know, people like myself like when people can say our name. And if you have someone in your company that you're not sure how their name is pronounced, you can see it on Workplace. Ah, there you go. So now let's get right into that. So tell us, uh, tell myself, tell my listeners a little bit about Line Zero and what you guys are about. Yes, absolutely. So we are a, like I said, workplace uh, partner. So we're a reseller and implementation partner. So in a way, my role is sort of twofold. So one is selling the actual platform workplace, the the software, uh, which is in layman's terms, it's Facebook for your organization. So everyone has a unique identifier and they can log in and really big companies um, love it, especially if, if you have a really heavy frontline organization where you know we have truck drivers on workplace, we have retail employees on workplace. Usually the, the people that are on the ground doing the work that mm-hmm. don't get like a team's uh, login, they don't get Outlook login, but they're part of the company and it's hard for them to feel that way. So we... My role within Line Zero is to sell that, but also the the consulting services. So we're experts in it. We have implementation uh, experts. We have change management experts. So we sort of bring that all in and help you launch Workplace and stay on with you for usually at least a year, but mm-hmm. um, oftentimes longer to to help with like strategic goals and things like that. Sorry, my dog is barking. Uh-huh. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so so basically you said I mean it's it's like it's like Facebook for the workplace. So so each person has a, a login, they can everybody can connect, you can have conversations, you can provide information across the platform. Yep. Share pictures, do training, do onboarding, let people sort of it's a reflection of the culture in the in the company. And it really kicked off, I think, um, during COVID when everyone had to move to mobile. It was hard to communicate, especially with the frontline employees. It's still sort of difficult for a lot of companies to feel that way. So mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's, it's actually been really great the, fast, uh, the past few years. So is the, you know, I mean, in most organizations, the culture is obviously driven by, you know, I look at it as being top down. It's not just HR, but it's top down. So CEO down. Um, so they set the culture and then this is just a tool that they can use to support that culture to make sure that everyone's absolutely it's, it's, it'll help with the culture. It'll help. It'll certainly help with the communication of it. Um, it'll drive bottom up communication. Whereas, you know, there's a term for the frontline, which is like digitally invisible, right? They don't get emails, they don't get laptops, they don't get Teams, Outlook, right? They don't get the Gmail addresses. So, you know, if they were to leave there, there's no digital record of them ever being employed there beyond like the pay stuff that they've gotten from the HRAS system, but there's no sort of communication. So it really improves the bottom-up communication. So it'll help with the culture in that sense. However, as Line Zero, we actually do some executive coaching and executive, um, yeah, coaching is probably the best word for it on how to use workplace to drive culture. So it it's very important that the C-suite have some buy-in and they drive that culture. I think that's that's evident in all all organizations. You sort of look look to your leaders first, see how they're impacting the culture physically maybe in the office, across the organization. And that's usually just reflected in 
in workplace. It can help improve it. I think it certainly does, but there has to be buy-in from, from executives. Have you ever, this is interesting, have you ever come across a time when um, the executives didn't buy in where they just, yeah, like they just, they didn't have that. They didn't have a full, they didn't have a complete picture. They didn't have full buy-in, but they did the project anyway, just thinking that it was going to magically take care of itself. Have you ever come across that situation before? It doesn't, it never pans out. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> right? There's always, there's always got to be at least one executive sponsor mm-hmm. where they're driving it um, or someone that's, you know, really close to the executives, maybe they're VP level and they're they're looking to move to the C level and they can drive that, but there has to be someone that's driving it that really believes in it because it's it's a tool made for people and it needs someone driving that internally because you sort of need a team behind it to help. Like Line Zero is that team to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but you we're not going to know your organization as well as you are. Right. So we need someone that that's on the inside, really driving that, that could have that influence over, over the other executives to, to sort of come in. Now, what we find is once we have that person, um, it doesn't take much to sell to the other executives because this gives them, um, first of all, visibility into all of their employees, but also, their, their employees gain visibility to them. So there's really cool interactions where like Stanley Black & Decker, I think is a great example. They're, they had, they're one of the first users in North America, I think. And the CEO posted a video, I think he was at a, a store and I don't remember the exact what happened in the video, but someone I think like across the country commented something on it and then the CEO commented back. So now there's this interaction Uh, between like a frontline worker and the CEO of the company, right? So those sorts of interactions just simply wouldn't happen if it wasn't for workplace. That's that's awesome. There's two things I want to say to that is one is I always say when I'm speaking is that, you know, if the leader of the organization does not clearly define the culture, everyone else will make it up. And so because people will tell their own story. So if it's not clearly defined top down, everybody else makes up a story of what they think it is. Um, and I think, you know, what's interesting, and I've, there's something that I've been talking about recently was when, you know, I say, when was the last time that a bottom line worker, right, went to the CEO and said, how's your day? Now, people complain at the bottom. They say, well, the CEO's never around or the executive's never around and they don't, they don't care about us and all these, all the stories that gets told. But when's the last time somebody on the front line went up and said, hey, how are you? How are you doing? So that's a great story, right, where, you know, the a conversation from the CEO and somebody across the country who's maybe a frontline worker actually had a conversation. Exactly. And it presents that opportunity, mm-hmm. right? It's, I think, you know, if you see the, off, uh, the CEO in the office, first of all, you have to be in that office with them. But there are organizations that have over a hundred thousand employees globally, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that level of access you just simply don't have without mm-hmm. a, a platform like this. So right. and then usually when you do, the platform isn't really geared towards that water cooler moments. It's geared towards productivity, like Teams is. So unless you have something where it's you know focused on the job to get to the CEO, it's it's very difficult to to have that moment with them. Right. So this is a platform to do that. That's great. Fantastic. All right, ma'am. So 
Now, what got you from being a gosling? And I mean, like, going back to your very, very early beginnings when you were hatched. So what got you from being a gosling to leaving the nest when you decided to either you went out on your own or you got kicked out of the nest? One of the two uh, happened, right, to where you are today. So, ma'am, what's your backstory? I am I am I'm seriously intrigued. Yeah. Um, so I was born in, in uh, Turkey. So um, Iskandar in Turkey, which. Uh, Actually, last, you know, a couple of months ago, I was really impacted by the earthquake there. Luckily, everyone in, in my family was, is okay, but that is um, where I was born. So I lived was, there. Sorry, what was the name of the, the town city? Uh, Iskenderun. I can How put you... it in the chat. It's going to be hard to, to okay. spell. You put it in the I'll chat. I'll put it in the chat for you. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> I got to brush thank up you. my Turkish. It's not that great. Yeah, no worries. No worries. So that's where I was born. Um, yeah. And at at seven years old, uh, you know, my parents sort of just decided we're, we're moving to, to the U.S., uh, New York, uh, Brooklyn, of all places. Um, no, like no English whatsoever, like wow. zero, not even yes, no, zero English. We just sort of just went there. Um, so when I first arrived, I, I still remember this, I you know, in a way it could be like a trauma, I guess, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I think we, we got there December of uh, 98 um, and my parents tried to put me into school right then, uh, but there was a few vaccines that we needed before we could join the public school system in, in Brooklyn. So they said, you know what, do those and then there's gonna be the Christmas holidays anyway, they're off for a few weeks. So why don't you have them start January of 1999? How old um, were so you? I, How old are you? I when was you I was seven years old you at that seven. point. Yeah. yeah, in in March I would have turned eight, so just like about to turn eight years old at that point. So grade two. Yeah. Um, and then, so you know, January comes around, we go in into the school, and the the environment that I'm used to for in Turkey that I was used to in grade one and part of grade two was uniforms, right? Mm -hmm. uh, every morning you line up outside. The weather is a little bit warmer, but you line up in straight lines outside. Each class goes in one at a time, older kids first, or maybe younger kids first and then older kids last. Uh, they check your nails. If your nails aren't trimmed, they have a ruler. They just slap you <laughs> right on the hand. They send you home. Uh, you're, if you're a little bit older, Right, like in high school, you have to be clean shaven. Uh, they don't let you in if you're not clean shaven. So there's a desk, it's three to a desk when you're in grade one and you have to sit like this, back straight. That's what I'm coming, that's my entire world of understanding what school is. Right. Then I get into grade two in Brooklyn, New York and there's kids on the floor, right, taking notes. There's drawings everywhere there's just it's just what i thought to be like mayhem I, I just remember like kind of sinking into myself like yo what is this uh and then like i went to the back of the room and just just kind of sat down like i was taught right back straight arms crossed down uh and then just sat that way just like looking at everybody not understanding anything uh i did really well when it came to math because my math was like really far advanced, right? Uh, I think I was doing like grade four level math, except for like problem solving. Anytime there was like English there, I just couldn't do it. Uh, so anyways, 
I picked up English pretty fast. I think when you're that age and like mm -hmm. everyone's speaking English around you, you just pick it up fast, right? So I think it was like four or five months in, I became conversational and wow. really quickly, like six, seven months in, I could read and write. Uh, I had a great ESL teacher. Uh, so then, you know, I could make some friends. You know, I, I was always pretty good at sports. So I, I started to get really popular. And then from there, uh, at the end of grade five, um, you know, 9-11 had happened in New York by that point, mm -hmm. And it essentially kind of became difficult for us. So we decided to go back to Turkey. And when I say we, like I'm I'm still like 12 years old at this point. There's, I'm not involved in the decision making. You have, you have no control. <laughs> I have no control over this. It was like either go back to Turkey or my aunt had moved to Canada or like drive up, you know, the I-90 up towards Buffalo and then make our way into Canada and see if they'll take us here as, um, as uh, refugees that will soon become like land, landed immigrants. So that's, that was the plan my parents made. So then we moved up to Canada. So I started um, middle school in Hamilton, Ontario. Mm. So by the time I'm 12 years old, I had moved from Iskenderun, which is like a fairly small town okay. where most people know each other uh, or like have a family member that has a family member that knows each other to Brooklyn, New York, where it's like, <laughs> you know, probably one of the biggest cities in the world to Hamilton, Ontario, which again is a pretty small city. Uh, but I, you know, now I know English. I had a bit of a Brooklyn accent, which people thought was was funny, right? Because that's where I learned English. Um, and you know, I could I could make French Sorry. Um, so I ended up making friends pretty quickly there, and then lived there until I went to university in uh, in Mississauga. Um, so when. And the reason that I made that decision, so I was thinking about going to McMaster, which was in Hamilton. Uh, there was one teacher, um, and I really liked his class. It was the class was called Entrepreneurship 101, I think, or like Business 101, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I really liked this class. Uh, I said to him, hey, I'm, I'm like applying to a few schools. I'm thinking about applying to Toronto as well, like UFT. He's like, do that. And if you get in, go to that. And this was like a conversation that I had with him, like passing in the hallway. Mm. And I got into UFT. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going there. I'm sort of leaving the nest. And that's that's how I made my way away from there. So I personally haven't lived in any city for more than seven years. So I think it kind of helps with sales because I can make friends quickly. I can kind of meet new people quickly. So that's that's mm. how I, you know, that's my backstory. So, <laughs> um, so let's let's unpack just a little bit. Um, what was, do you know what the decision was as to why your mom and dad wanted to leave Turkey originally? Yes, I do remember that. It was, um, so the city that I'm from is a, a port city and it was a thriving city before the, the Gulf War in Iraq. So it was like the last port before things would go on freight and then you would drive them like through Syria to Iraq. So we're right on the border of Syria and uh, Turkey. Um, at the time it was thriving because like there was lots of like transport coming that way. But then once the Gulf War happened, there was like an embargo in that area and basically the entire city suffered. And my dad, um, at the time was an electrician. He was doing a lot of new builds and things like that. And that suffered. So hmm. one of the things was, okay, what do we do from here? My dad has a, 
three brothers and you know one lives in Germany, one lives in uh, the Netherlands and one lived in New York. And the one in, in New York, I guess, was the most uh, persuasive and brought him out there. So he, he went out there before my, my sister, my mother and myself. So then we went out to, to New York. And so did your dad probably had, did he have any English coming over? No. So he's no. going, so he did the same thing. So it's, yeah. you went to, then did the end up And working. now that I'm the age that I'm at, I have no idea how he did that. Like, it's just insane to me that you could, you know, you could do that. <laughs> but desperate times, I guess, right? He was just looking for a way to, to make an income. Right. Um, and so did he stay an electrician there when he got to? No, he stayed in the trades, uh, but it was just like whatever, whatever jobs he could get. Okay. Uh, he did. Yeah. Ah, interesting. So, uh, so uh, there's two questions I have for you. One is, I mean, I can't imagine, I mean, I moved when I was uh, in grade two when I was seven. So, but I mean, I was still in Saskatchewan, so it wasn't that harsh. There was <laughs> still speaking English, but it was still, it's a new environment as you know, you're young. And I, and what was going through your mind? I'm really intrigued of, you know, being seven, almost eight years old, you can't speak the language. You're in a in this whole new environment of like this is mayhem and chaos, and I don't understand any of it. Um, and you have to be in class every day and try to make your way through that. So, like, what was going through your mind in that in that period of time? I don't remember a lot of it. There's just stories that like my mom will tell, but initially I think it was really difficult, right? Like you don't have friends, you know, yeah. literally not talking to anybody for most part of the day. Um, it's so initially it was really hard. Uh, I remember, you know, there was like, I remember crying. I remember like, you know, wanting to go back. Like, why are we here? Mm -hmm. The place we were staying in, you know, wasn't great either. Right. Like it took a lot of work to, it was literally like Drake, right. Started from the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're here kind of a thing. So it's, it was like really started from the bottom, but you know, it helped to shape me to who, where I am today. But in that moment, initially, I think it was difficult after we, you know, we we first moved there. Again, the struggle with the language, not having friends. Um, and then over time, it got a little bit easier. Then you start to like really enjoy it. And, you know, when, I, think, I think the most important thing, especially for someone that young, is just like having friends, people that you can play with. Once you have that, it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter where you are. Um, it's just first getting that connection with people. And I think to be honest, like that never sort of leaves us as humans. Like you always need some sort of connection where mm -hmm. you are, uh, or it's, you struggle. Absolutely. Um, so interesting. So the second question I have for you, um, is, you know, a nine 11, of course, I mean, everything, you know, and you're here, you were in New York. Um, and did you feel a lot of the, um, the racial pushback when that all occurred? I was I was really young still. I was only uh, I think eleven years old. I remember the day though. Uh, it was it was you know the teachers were running back and forth. They had family you know working in the towers right like we're right yeah. there. Um, I I remember the the dust. I even in New like in Brooklyn you could you could see it. Um, and they weren't telling us anything. I think we were too young. Um, uh, my actually my mom and my aunt were supposed to be in the towers that day they were gonna they had a meeting there 
but my little cousin got sick. So they went to pick her up from school and they missed the train. And that's how they avoided being there. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But so my sister at the time was in um, middle school. She knew of the plans for my mom. So she thinks they're, they're telling her what's happening. She, she thinks she's in the towers mm -hmm. and like she breaks down and cries, but I have no idea. I'm, I'm in the other side, but then you start seeing like kids getting picked up like one at a time. Everyone's just going home. Teachers are crying. They're like, Yo, what's happening? And then I think I got picked up um, around 1130 because my mom went to pick up my sister first and then picked me up afterwards. We're at different schools. So and she's just walking. They're both within walking distance, but it takes about 10, 15 minutes each. Anyway, so she picks me. By the time she picked me up, both towers had already gone down. Uh, I remember we went up to the roof and you could just see the huge gust of smoke mm -hmm. and everything else. Um, in terms of like the racism and stuff like that, personally, I didn't feel it, but I think my my dad did a little bit. I remember he's uh, have a mustache. And I think that that was one of the reasons that he got rid of it because it, it made him look less, I guess, less Muslim in a way, yeah. maybe. I don't remember. I I still think that was a good decision for him. Regardless, he never <laughs> brought it back, but... <laughs> But, you know, I think we started to feel that a little bit, but then things became difficult from like um, paperwork, right? Like it was, it was easier to, to have your workplace sponsor you so you could get your green card and things like that. And we had my, like, I'm learning about this now, right? Mm. But we were down the, the path that my dad's workplace was going to sponsor him so that he can get his uh, green card so that he can get his skill trade because he was doing the job, but he just wasn't a skill trade officially. Right. So they had started that process with the lawyer, but then after 9-11, it became really difficult mm. and it just, it basically wasn't going to happen. So. Hmm. And so up to Canada. Up to Canada. Up to Canada. Interesting. Exactly. I just, I, I just find those things interesting from the other side of, you know, the people with, with racism and things that, that occur and how, you know, you have nothing to do with anything that went on, but yet, you know, you're kind of, everybody's painted with the same brushstroke, right? Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so what a, what a great backstory. So I want to bring, bring this, bring you up to speed and what got you into uh, line zero? Um. So really, really good friend of mine. And I, I thank him for it. Uh, his name is Greg Sugar. Uh, shout out to him. He's the VP of ops here now. But the way that, so I've been doing software sales for um, just over a decade now, when you include line zero. But I first started as a, as a BDR for a startup uh, that was based in Vancouver. I did pretty well there. I moved up AE enterprise accounts. Like I did, I did well there. Then when I moved to Kitchener, I joined uh, an ed tech uh, company. Um, I think I did pretty well there as well. Like I was, I was enjoying my time there. There was, I wasn't looking for anything, but um, as I said, Greg sort of, you know, tapped me on the shoulder one day and he's like, Hey man, like there's this opportunity. I think you'll be, you'll be great at it. Um, there's an opportunity to sell to like really cool clients. You get to work with really cool, like meta folks and, there's an entire ecosystem that you sort of get get to be a part of. Um, you know, that seemed intriguing and interesting just to like work with a really good friend and, and co-sell with him in a lot of opportunities, which is like really cool too. You get to like present with him and things like that. You don't really get that opportunity elsewhere. And then my 
you know, my manager now, he's, he's great. And in the interview process, I knew that I would learn a lot in this role and I would learn a lot from him. Um, so I, I said, let's do it. Hmm. And how long have you been there for now? Uh, just over two years. And still loving it? Yeah, really. I mean, the company's growing, the accounts that we're, we're being introduced to and that we're having the opportunity to, to meet with is, is growing. It's, um, you know, in the past, I think eight months, um, I've, I've sold to maybe five, like closed deals with five fortune, uh, 100 companies, fortune 500 companies for that. But I think one of them is fortune 100. So like, it's, it's, awesome <laughs> yeah it's 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 great like it's yeah. not easy to break into those sorts of companies but yeah. um, once you're in it's you know it really impacts the business and you feel like you've made an impact and you love to sell i love to sell man. i know i love to sell. <laughs> i know you do <laughs> all right so moving on so what is the greatest thing positive or negative that's ever happened to you that's ruffled your feathers and how did you respond to it I mean, I guess talking about this is maybe moving, moving a lot, right? And and responding to that just by like, you, I guess keeping a little bit of who you were with you, but also acclimating to the new environment you're in, which I think you, you sort of need when you're in sales, right? Like you gotta, you gotta be able to make really strong relationships really quickly. And I think I've been doing that for such a long time because of the fact that we've moved around a few times. Um, I sort of like just, you know, cut the bullshit right away, like cut through all of the fat and like sort of get to who it is that I'm standing, you know, that I'm in front of. And I think the only way you can truly do that is to be vulnerable in front of people, right? Because mm -hmm. they're not going to be vulnerable in front of you unless you do that first. They have no reason to. Right? right you're the person that's that's selling to them so um finding ways that you can do that i think if you go in with your guard up they already have their guard up right mm -hmm. so you have to find a way to to connect with them at a human level um to sell to them so i approach it like hey if i can make this person if i can make this person's day better if i can make their you know job easier then then i'll probably make this sale Right. So for me, the mindset is always less about the outcome of the sale and more about like, how am I going to make make your life a little bit easier? And if I can find ways to achieve that. It'll, the outcome will become that. I think there's um, there's some there's one thing you said interesting. I'm going to come back to it. But one of the things that's, that I, I find interesting is, you know, the energy that you come into the into the conversation with is a lot of times how it plays out. So if you come in with the energy of, I'm going to make, I got to make, I got to make a sale. People are going to pick up on that. Right. Uh, you... uh, there's a term that I, I saw, I think a couple of months ago, uh, commission breath. Uh, I was like, Oh, I love that term. I uh, love that term. If you have commission breath, people, I, I <laughs> buyers definitely, but I think all people sort of feel where your energy is. Um, and if it's a, it's coming from a place of thinking about yourself then they just they pick up on it it's mm -hmm. you can pick up on it i pick up on it when i when i'm speaking to somebody and they're like you know all about themselves it's just 
you know, you just, you, you can't approach it that way. The, the mindset is really important. And I believe firmly in visualization. I think if you mm. visualize a conversation when you're going to these really big, car, like, you know, I've, again, had the opportunity and, you know, I'm grateful for it to, to talk to like C-suite executives at really big, like household name companies. Um, these are probably some of the most influential people in, in America, right? Mm. And so to have the opportunity to talk to them, um, obviously I'm a little nervous, right? I have that like, you know, I'm sitting in the basement, you know, having these <laughs> conversations with really like important people. And uh, I just, I just try to visualize it. I try to be present in the moment. I like to visualize how the conversation will go, what they'll ask and things like that. And then when I'm in it, it just, it's like, I've done this already. Yeah. And there's, a, there's another thing too. And I was just um, in another tech meeting. I was actually, instead of being a speaker, I was a guest. So it was really interesting being across the table. Um, but it was the minds. We talked about mindset a little bit, but my, the mindset of um, instead of I have to is that I get to. So it's instead of like, I have to make the sale, which is different than I get to. And it's, and again, it's just, it's a mindset shift, but the energy shifts along with it. Absolutely. 100%. Um, you said something really interesting. I, I said this earlier, but you said about, you know, about part of them ruffled your feathers was keeping keeping who you are while still moving forward in the future. And just as soon as you said that, I got to thinking is, which is harder, trying to keep who you are or trying to make change and shift into the future? For me, it's keeping who I am. It's, uh, I'm, I'm good with change. I like change. I like moving forward. I like trying new things. I, I really like that. Um, and then reinventing myself. I always like to like, look at myself, um, analyze myself, see how I can do things better. It's funny. I, I kind of remember the moment I started to do this was uh, where I do some of my best thinking is on, you know, on the toilet. <laughs> I think I was in like high school and like, I don't know what had happened, but I, it, this was like maybe the first time that I, I did like reflective, you know what I mean? Should I have done that differently? Should I started to do that another way? Maybe I think it was like, I was in a basketball game. I played, like I said, a lot of sports, but, and I think I got teed up or I got thrown out of the game. And then, you know, I was like 14 years old. So it's everybody else's fault but mine. Of course. Right. <laughs> right? So, so then when, when I was sitting there, I was like, okay, let me, let me look at this objectively a little bit. And then I started doing it then. I've sort of carried that with me. And there's, I think, so many more resources to help people with that now, mm -hmm. uh, which I love, which I, you know, absorb and read through. And I think I've, I've started to do a better job of that. So I like reinventing myself a lot. Um, but, you know, then you start to lose a little bit of who you, who you were, which I think could be really positive. But you, I try to hold on to the things that, that were important that are maybe still important to to me so I can keep a little bit of myself I think it's even harder when you have kids mm -hmm. you know what I mean? yeah. because then you're like your dad now yeah and you're really there for for him which I love um but you still want to keep a little bit of yourself so, yeah so it's yeah so it is hard to keep those that 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 base I guess you could say right that you got ground to walk on <clears throat> don't lose yourself along the way um so 
um, as you know, when we were in the uh, in the session for for tech, the number one, I have to say that you know, knowing uh, of course, knowing your your Colby results is when you say that you keep liking to reinvent yourself. Yes, that is very true uh, okay. to, to who you are. Um, so geese fly seventy one percent further and faster when flying in a V formation. So, what do you think the secret is to getting a team flying in that V formation? What are your thoughts on that? This is the one question that I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say to this one. I think there's so many different things, but I'm a firm believer in leading by example, right? I think if if you're seeing the leadership practice what they preach, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think we all, there's that saying for kids, right? You know, they'll do, they'll do what you do. They won't do what you say. I think that just applies for mm -hmm. everyone. Right. If I see my, you know, my manager acting a certain way, it's likely that I'm just going to follow suit and, and start acting that way because I'm thinking this is the way, right? Mm -hmm. This is the way we're all going to act. So it's like, I think leading by example is maybe the only, only way that you can lead. So whatever that means, however you approach things, right? If you're, if you're coming to the meeting and, you know, the agenda is set because that's just the way the company operates, right? There's always an agenda before the meeting. If you want to discuss it, you can, whatever. Then everyone in the company sort of takes that on as, you know, this is just a small example, but but I think it can illustrate what, what it would mean. Like these little details can happen if the, the leadership, managers, executives, whatever, approach it in this way, then the others will, will follow suit because then that becomes the culture. So it's, well, which goes back to my original point. I said, when, you know, we, we don't clearly define the culture of your organization, everyone else will make it up, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it, it really has to do with, so you're saying it has to it all, it really comes down to lead by example. I think so. Right. Do as I do, not as I say. Yeah. Right. And if they, and if people are doing or saying opposite things, it gets massively confusing. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, and then I think that's the definition of a hypocrite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so, so ma'am, what are you doing right now to better the pond? What ripples are you creating and how are you inspiring others to do the same? So what are you doing to make the world a better place, ma'am? Uh, I think I, I just, I, I think I'm showing up in a way where I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to just improve other people's lives. You know what I mean? I, I do that definitely with my son. I try to do that with my family. I, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned the technical and getting tossed out of the game. I, I had a bit of a temper when I was younger and after leaving uh, university, I, I started to be like, okay, like I'm, I'm an adult now. I can't just keep carrying this around. So I started to go down the path of like um, meditation. I had come across an article that said it can help you be more productive and stuff like that. So went down that path and then, you know, on the path of mindfulness and, and things like that, then, then I started to like be able to control myself a little bit better. But one of the things that I was using Headspace at the time, the mm. app it had just come out. And one of the things the instructor would say is like, um, in the beginning of each meditation, like keep in mind, like what it is that's making you do this meditation today. And it would always be like 
my family, my friends, how I how I show up for them. That's how that's what's going to be impacted by me doing this meditation. By me improving myself, it's going to improve my relationships with all of them and hopefully it's going to help them. Uh, so I try to take that with me into work. I lead a team now. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just doing my best to, to hopefully inspire them by doing what I can, but also, you know, any sort of wisdom I have, I could just like impart onto them, like anything I know, I try to like let them know about it too. Um, yeah, it's, it's with my clients, it's with my family, it's with my you know, co-workers, my, you know, my team, whatever, that's, that's how I think I'm improving or bettering the pond. <laughs> well, it, so, it sounds to me like you're leading by example. Trying to. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when I was just talking to my, I was talking to my daughter the other night and we were sitting by the fire and I said, you know, one of the things that was really important, because we were just talking about, you know, conversations, there's this random conversation, she's back from France, so we're just having this random conversation. Um, but it was, you know, always leaving people better than you found them. It's, I love that one. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. And you can do that with a smile. Mm -hmm. You can do that all the time. Another thing, this I think, again, is from Tools of Titans. Uh, one of the guests said, be first. Uh, I think it was the woman with like the zipper. I can't remember who the guest was on Tim Ferriss's podcast that said it, but the whole idea of be first is like be the first to initiate a conversation with a stranger, be the first to smile at somebody. And I, I, I know that in moments that I do that, I'm happier for it. Uh, like I'll do this at the gym, right? You know, I like someone's shoes, right? I'll just be like, mm -hmm. instead of holding back and not saying anything, I'll just say, hey man, nice shoes, sort of a thing. And then a, a dialogue can open up and then now all of a sudden you see him the other day now you've sort of started to make a friend right so it's i love that saying too it's like be first to to initiate that conversation mm -hmm. that's awesome um yeah that that, that is that's, that's yeah you you just actually spurred a thought and just it's, it's interesting i've never i've never heard that but I mean, I understand it, but I've never actually heard it phrased that way. So um, we want to grab onto that one. Can I use that one? It's not mine. It's all yours? Okay. <laughs> so go so ahead. This goes called... I'm stealing from someone else. I just it's... don't know who, whose name it's... it is. I know it's in the book, Tools of Titans. If you uh... ever read that one, it's a behemoth of a book. So <laughs> it's one of the guests that Tim Ferriss had on. Is this called R&D, Rip Off and Duplicate? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So what's one lesson that you've learned uh, along your journey, ma'am, um, that you'd share to an entrepreneur starting business today? So personally, I I think all salespeople are, you know, in a not quite an entrepreneur, right? Like that is just a whole other beast, I think, right? But I think we have in us the ability to be entrepreneurs maybe easier than others because we impact our own income so much mm -hmm. but what i would say is um resiliency is really really important um and the other thing that's important to note is other people don't remember your mistakes as much as you do uh. other people don't care about you as much as you think they care about you 
So if you go down this path of I'm going to start this business and I'm going to do this, and obviously we have social media, so you put it on there. I've done this myself in the past. And then like, it just doesn't work out and you, you put it all the way. What I found in myself is that I have a hesitancy to try it again because like, I feel like, oh, they're going to judge me because the other thing didn't work. I'm starting something else now. When in reality, nobody cares that much about you and your mistakes and what you're doing because they're all living their own lives and they all have things that they need to worry about more than your mistakes and what you've done two years ago. So be resilient in pursuing new things and trying until you finally get it to work because you just need one. I love that saying too, like you can try building a bunch of businesses, but you just need one to work. Mm -hmm. And that's where resiliency comes in. And then the other thing is like, don't worry because no one remembers your mistakes, but you just let it go and keep going. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, how we can stop ourselves from the mindset of what somebody else will think, right? So- Um, and then we, then we start, well, I don't, you know, well, maybe it's not going to, so we actually get in our own way. Absolutely. We get in our own way. Yeah. And All yeah. And, and you're exactly right though. People, people don't care as much as we think they, they do. They really don't. They've got their own issues to take care of. They're not worried, really worried all about yours. They don't, and, they don't have the time. No yeah, one has the No one has the time. <laughs> and you know, and there's nothing wrong. I say like fail forward. I always tell people fail forward, keep making mistakes, right? Keep but, trying it. Yeah. Keep trying it. You'll, if you keep trying it, it's very, very unlikely that you're not going to find something that, that works to a certain extent. Um, and then maybe keep trying after that, right? Like you only, you only lose when you give up, right? You don't lose before that. Right. I'm grabbing that one. There it is. Got it. All right. Um, so I have one last question for you, which you do not have. So we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to stick you here a little bit. So ma'am, if you were standing on top of a mountain and the whole world was intently listening to you, what would you say? Be kind. That's what I would say. Just be kind. And why would you say that? You just don't know what other people are dealing with. You know what I mean? It's you, I, I sort of just saw this. It's, it's about your own mindset. Like even when you're stuck in traffic and someone cuts you off or maybe they're just going slow, right? It's so much better to think, oh, maybe, you know, it's a mom that has a birthday cake in the back that doesn't want to ruin it for their kid. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, your mindset is, oh, okay, let her go a little slower. It'll be all right. You know what I mean? Mm. But that that's like just being kind to the person in front of you, just being kind mm. also to yourself, I think, in a, in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, you de-escalate the situation. But I just you just don't know what other people are going through, right? We all kind of just have to show up and we don't you don't know what other people are carrying with them. It's just better to be kind. It's just better to be, you know, lead with kindness a little bit, lead with love a little bit, you know, just approach life with that more than like, you know, trying to get things from people and things like that. Cause then you're just going to make yourself miserable. <laughs> True. So I, I like, you know, just, I think it's a good thing to say to everybody, just be kind. And be first to be kind. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, my, my brother-in-law, he came with a great line. And it was so funny when he said it, because it's actually changed my mindset. You know, <clears throat> you're driving and somebody's weaving through traffic or they're speeding or whatever. And of course, your mind immediately goes to, oh, you know, what, you know, like the, the sort of what's wrong. Yeah. And uh, so his line is that he's probably got a pee. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. It, but it's so funny because now I actually do that, and then actually, and then you giggle, right? Like you've just changed your mindset from you know who is this guy to you know, and you have a chuckle over it, and off they go. Um, so it's it's it's, a, it's an easy it's an easy mindset shift. So all right, be kind. All right. Um, so I really want to thank you, ma'am, uh, for your time. And I really want to thank you for, you know, coming on as being a guest on the podcast. I love your story. When I met you, I knew that there was something here. Um, you're just a really amazing and fascinating person. And one of the things by listening to you talk today is I think that, you know, and this is just my thoughts of, you know, what makes you so good at what you do now and how you connect with people, how you're kind um, how you relate, how you, you know, you just take care of everyone around you really goes back to when, you know, you, you moved here from, you moved to New York from Turkey and you saw the other side. And so really when you think about it, you know, it was, it was the gift of that, that it gave you what, 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 what made you who you are today. I think so. I think so. So I want to thank you for that personally. So I really want to ask tonight again. I want to thank you for sharing your stories. Um, so if we want to find you, uh, ma'am, where do we go? Um, you know, Google me, I'm, I'm going to say, but it's, uh, it's hard to spell my name, but, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you, if you just type in Mehmet Akchali and I think I come up at, on LinkedIn, I check my LinkedIn messages. You can, you can find me there. Uh, you know, I have Instagram, Mehmet.Akchali on, uh, Instagram username, but, those are those are probably the two platforms I use the most is LinkedIn and um, Instagram. Instagram, and uh, so I'll put that in the show notes so everybody does have the correct spelling. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to spell it in Turkish. I'll do it in plain English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'll drop my email as well for for line zero. It's uh, you know, my first initial M, uh, Akchalian at g at uh, line zero dot com. I'll I'll send that to you. I can't remember if there's a dot in between it right now. I don't think there is. It's m akchalian at linezero.com. So that's okay. the best And we'll make sure that we get that in the show notes that people can go and find you and and connect with you and connect with Line Zero and and uh, you can help you know just just be who you are and help more people and leave be people better than you found them. That'd be great. Absolutely. <laughs> so there you had it, folks. Uh, we had a great time here today with Mem. And this is Warren Berry, and I'm flocking off to take you beyond the pond to better the pond because we're better together. Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you. Bye for now. Well, thanks for landing on the Better the Pond podcast. Do you know someone who should be in our flock? Contact Warren at warren at instinctivesolutions.ca to tell us their story. Until next time. What ripples will you create? Cheers. Cheers.